Well, if I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King, and glad that you're here, whether you're joining us here at the Bellingham campus or those of you who are joining us at our Ferndale campus, uh, or a special welcome to those of you who are watching online. We're glad that you're here. Just want to talk about something that happened last weekend at both of the campuses in two different ways. We did an outreach last weekend called Trunk or Treat. We had over 130 volunteers who gave away over 193,000 pieces of candy to over 6,000 people who showed up. Um, And every single one of them got an invitation to come back to church. And so we are excited about the fact, I mean, we put the word out and you responded. And if you were here, it was a zoo. And it was awesome and amazing. In Ferndale, they did something called glow stations. They gave out over 100, or sorry, 1,500 glow bracelets, 1,500 invitations to Christ the King Ferndale. I mean, it was just one of those weekends where God did exceedingly abundantly above all we could have asked or even imagined. It was an amazing thing. So can we say thanks to the Lord for what he did last weekend? That was fantastic. We've been doing a series called Cringe, and so far in this journey, we've met a young businessman that God told to sell everything. We met three guys who called themselves followers of Jesus until they found out exactly what that meant. We found a group of religious guys who thought they were the real deal till Jesus told them otherwise, and then we ran into one of Jesus' best friends who got the nickname Satan, which is not good ever, okay? Each week, we focused on, in on a moment when Jesus said something And the response was from the people around him. Did he just say that? Did that actually just come out of his mouth? And we made a promise to ourselves that we weren't going to try and sidestep the hard teaching of Jesus. That we weren't going to soften the words of Jesus. But instead, we were going to, to acknowledge them as God calling us deeper. And it's been an interesting, crazy, wild ride. And we're going to keep on going. Not, not a lot of fluffy stories tonight. Um, we're just going to dive into a troubling passage, and, and I'm going to tell a Bible story. I've been hanging out with a blind guy all week long. I have an incredibly soft place in my heart for people who struggle with blindness because I'm married to someone who has Bietti's crystalline dystrophy. My wife has been slowly losing her eyesight over 17 years. We thank God it's taken that long. If you met her, you wouldn't even know she had a problem. But I have a deep, soft spot in my heart for people who struggled to see. This man that we're going to meet this weekend has been blind since birth. And ever since he was old enough, every single day he'd find his way to a spot by the side of the road and he would beg. Same routine, day in and day out. And then one day, everything changes. The Bible says in John chapter 9, this is what happened. As he went along, speaking of Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so the word of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must work, do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. But while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Having said this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed. And he came home seeing. 
His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I'm the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. I was blind, and now I could see. That's an incredible thing. I mean, get the picture, okay? He's just hanging out by the side of the road, and suddenly he hears a conversation. He hears a conversation, and, and as we walk through this, I'm just going to throw some thoughts and some truths out here, but here's the first blank in your outline. I mean, he's sitting by the side of the road. He overhears a conversation, and I want you to remember something at the beginning of the story. The man's blind. He's not deaf. Okay? He can hear what's going on around him, and he hears this argument, an unbelievably rude argument between the disciples. So do you think it's his, his fault or his parents' fault that he's, that he's blind? They come upon this person, and they treat him like he's invisible. They jump into this big fault-finding discussion about, about whose blame it is, and they forget for a second, the guy's blind, but he's not deaf. He can hear the whole thing. They treat him like he's invisible. Have you ever felt invisible in a crowded room? I mean, you're there and everybody in the room seems to know that you're there, but you just fade into the furniture. It's not a good feeling, is it? You know, I worry about that feeling every single week at Christ the King because it's very easy to feel invisible in a big church. Some people want to feel invisible. Several years back, I had a guy tell me that he hid in the back row of Christ the King for nine years before he gave his life to Jesus, and that to him, the most important part of the service for him was when we shook hands, because it was the only time in his world when he didn't feel invisible. So for the record, if you don't like shaking hands, that's cool. Bring some hand sanitizer. It's important to the invisible ones, and because it's important to them, it's important to Jesus, and we will always, always, always do it. Just so you know. I mean, this story blows me away. They're just talking about him like he doesn't even exist. I've told this story here before, but I'm going to tell you it again because it's fun. A few years back, I was in a restaurant in an unknown town about 10 miles north of here, okay? I was alone in a restaurant drinking my coffee and somewhat bored, so I thought I'd listen in on the conversation being had by four elderly gentlemen behind me. They were talking about churches, and a part of their conversation went like this. Well, I heard they put the Word of God on screens because nobody owns a Bible, and the pastor wears jeans and has a tattoo. Another guy said, well, I heard their pastor has no seminary degree. Another one said, well, I know they don't preach the gospel there because you only get that many people there if you're using entertainment. And then the last guy pipes in, well, with a name like Fishbook, they obviously can't be from around here. They were talking about me like I didn't even exist. Some of you want to know what I did, don't you? I pulled up a chair. I stuck out my hand and I said, Hi, I'm Grant Fishbook, one of the pastors at Christ the King Church in Bellingham. And here was the interesting thing. I saved them money, which was good considering where they were from, because none of them needed lunch after they had all swallowed their dentures. So, we actually had a nice chat. 
I encourage them to come and check us out firsthand because there's always a place for you, right? (laughs) Being invisible is not fun. Let's get back to the blind guy. This guy was used to being invisible. Just put yourself in his shoes for a second. I mean, if you have to, close your eyes. Come on, Bellingham, work with me. Ferndale, close your eyes just for a second. You can hear them talking about you. They're asking questions. Is he blind because he sinned or his parents? And another voice says, it's not about sin. This is going on so God can be glorified. And then you hear footsteps on the gravel in front of you. You hear a scraping noise. You can tell there's somebody right in front of you, so, so close that you can almost read out, reach out and touch them. And then you hear this sound. <laughs> I just lost some of you right there, didn't I? I'm like, dude, that's gross, right? You hear the sound of mud sticking to fingers. You feel cool mud being spread on your sightless eyes. And then that voice, the the voice that wasn't arguing, the voice says, go and wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. It's a place that, a word that means sin. Here's the instructions, but before we jump ahead to what happened, let's get another important piece of information. In your outline, it reads this way. I need you to know the blind man is not expecting a miracle. According to the previous chapter, the situation happened just outside of the temple gates. People with disabilities who couldn't work would often position themselves outside of the temple in hopes of charity. They were hoping that people coming from a religious experience would offer them alms to the poor. They wanted charity. All this guy was hoping for was a couple of coins. That's what he wanted. He had his hand out for charity, and instead, God places the seeds of a miracle there. Now, I want you to notice something that's going to be tough for some of us. I want you to notice this. The man doesn't ask for a miracle. God just gives him one. Now, watch your reaction here, because some of you are thinking right away, that's not fair. Why does he get a miracle? I've been asking for one for years. Why doesn't God help the people who are asking? I mean, that would just seem to make more sense in my justice-driven mind. Can I give you an answer for your question? I have no idea. I have absolutely no clue why God gives to some and chooses not to give to others. What I do know is this. Out of this man's compassionate heart, Jesus just hands him something. He doesn't deserve it. He doesn't ask for it. Jesus just gives, kind of the way he handed all of us salvation, right? Didn't deserve it. Didn't even, for some of us, have the the formal way of asking for it. We didn't even know we needed it. And then suddenly, God is standing right in front of us, and there's a moment. He gives without request, just because he's God. The man just wanted charity. What he got was a miracle. Let's shift to a tough truth here because it's unbelievably difficult for some of us. And the tough truth is this. At times, God uses brokenness to glorify himself. Verse 3 will mess with your theology big time. It will go in direct contradiction to what you hear on Channel 20 on your television. Because according to Channel 20, if you have enough faith, you'll never ever need to worry about being sick again. If you just have enough faith, God's going to, he's just going to just, Pour it all out. It's like a miracle elixir. You just have to kind of do the right things and will it the right way. You need to try really hard to have faith, and then you'll never ever have to worry about it again. According to this verse, that's not what the Bible teaches. 
Apparently, they haven't read John chapter 9 because Jesus says in verse 3 that this man was actually born blind so that God could be glorified in this moment. Now, that's hard for some of us to wrap ourselves around. And I wish I had about three hours to try and unpack it for you. Here's the part I believe we need to focus on. God knew the guy was going to be there. And God knew exactly what he needed. And God knew before time began that Jesus was going to be in that moment at that time to meet that particular need because that's how unbelievably great our God is. He just knew all of it. Whatever it is that you're hoping for or praying for, he knows. God knows. I love stories from the Bible about blind people receiving sight. I wish I had a nice, tidy theological argument to explain my wife's visual challenges. I wish I could just tidy that all up. It'd be easier on me. Because as a pastor, some people mistakenly think that because you're a pastor, that you get this some kind of an exemption and, and that you get to live this nice, tidy life that, that doesn't have any problems or challenges. It's not true. We all deal with stuff from time to time, and I wish I had a nice bumper sticker answer to stick on 17 years of unanswered prayers. But what I do know is this. I'm richer for the waiting. Because I've had to press into God on this one like nothing else has ever come into my life. I've had to rely more. I've had to repent more often when my faith begins to waver and shake and it does way more than I would care to admit. So if you are here and our topic for this day is somewhat challenging to you, I need you to know this more than anything. There is a purpose for your pain. And God knows it. And he will use it. And you can do it without him. Or you can do it with him. And as someone who walks with pain every single day, I would encourage you to make Jesus your greatest ally in the situation and not your easiest and most convenient enemy. Because he knows. There's a purpose. And your dependence is a beautiful beautiful thing. You know, I, I, I find it interesting that the healing doesn't actually happen in the moment Jesus supplies the mud. Jesus tells the man he's got to go and do something to complete his miracle. If you've searched through scripture, every miracle that Jesus performed has some element of obedience attached to it. Jesus told the man, you've got to go and wash at a pool called scent. Now I want you to remember something. The guy's still blind at this point. Getting to the pool may have been scary. We don't even know if he knew where the pool was. We don't even know how he got there. All we know is Jesus said, I want you to trust me and I want you to find your way to the pool and when you wash, something amazing is going to happen. It's hard for us to wrap ourselves around, but there's an unbelievable truth here we need to understand and the truth goes like this. God requires a step of faith and he leaves some things to us. The man had some responsibility. We have some responsibility. My responsibility as a husband of someone who struggles with a visual impairment is to pray 
and keep praying and not give up praying. And when I feel like I can't pray anymore, to pray a little more and to keep asking God over and over and over and over again. I want to line up in heaven right behind the persistent widow. Scripture tells a story of a woman who just keeps coming and she bangs on the door all day and all night long until finally God's like, okay. I want to stand right behind her. I want God to look at me and go, I remember you. I remember you. Man, not much can be said for you, but you were a bulldog when it came to this one. 17 years. And you know what my responsibility is? Because it pushes faith way down deep inside of your soul. You get to live this truth. Jesus can't be all you need until he's all you have. He sends him off with some personal responsibility. We have responsibility. To be close to God, our responsibility is to pray, even when the answer is no. To know his will, our responsibility is to know the word of God, because that's where the will is. To know his heart is our responsibility, and that allows us to share in his mission, to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is sending a clear message here. And the message comes in verse 4. He goes, as long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent me. There is work for us to do as we're preparing for these glorious moments when heaven tips just a little bit and God does something that doesn't fit inside of this natural world. I think Jesus is giving people a glimpse here, a preview of John 20, when he says, as my father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Because he was said to, that was said to him in the process of preparing himself for the miracle of salvation, the greatest miracle of all. And he sends this guy, goes, you go and I'll go with you. Christ the King, if you're battling something, go and he'll go with you. Take a step of faith. Don't give up. Don't pray less. Pray more. Lean in. Allow that feeling of faith to well up inside of your soul. Be this guy. Which leads us to the next point that we must all go to the place where God is sending us. God sent this guy to a pool. He sent him to a pool. Some of you are being sent to a deserted place so that you and God can have a captive audience with each other. Some of you are being sent to the other side of the world to tell a group of people who've never heard about Jesus about Jesus. I'm going to do that in about 36 hours. Scared to death, you better pray. Some of you are being sent to rehab. And you can do it. Because God promised he'd go with you. Some of you are being sent back into marriages that need a lot of work. And what you need to hear today is not to give up. Because marriage isn't to make you happy, it's to make you holy. That's a whole other series, all right? Some of you are being sent back to people with whom you need to make amends because your past failures have affected their lives and you need to make it right. Some of you are being sent to the throne room to worship God in spirit and in truth. Some of you are being sent next door to your next door neighbor to be Jesus to somebody who needs him. Some of you are being sent into parenthood to raise godly kids so that my children will have somebody good to marry. Get busy, all right? Crank it up, people. All right. Just had to throw that in, right? Some of you are being sent to your knees. 
because you've forgotten very often like me what it means to be dependent and to pray without ceasing. Some of you are being sent to touch people that nobody else can touch because God's called you to. Some of you are being sent to the cross today to discover the greatest miracle of all, the salvation of your soul. We're all being sent. The question is, will we go? Will we go? I think this is cool. According to this story, we find a brand new definition of what a Christian looks like. A Christian is a person covered in God's spit, going where God has sent them. You just wrap yourself, wrap your head around that just for a little bit. It's a person covered in God's spit, going where God has sent them. To the miracle of sobriety, to the miracle of a restored marriage, to the miracle of humans worshiping their creator, to the miracle of amends and forgiveness. That's where he's sending us. You know, I would so love it if the story ended right here. This would be one of my favorite Bible stories if it ended here, but it doesn't. Okay, now we've got to switch gears. I don't like this next part at all, but I'm going to summarize it for you. The man gets to the pool, he washes his eyes, and he can see. Suddenly, I mean, just imagine it. You've been blind since birth, and suddenly you can see colors and faces and lights and shapes and, and, and darkness and light and, and your family and the sun and the sky. I mean, just talk about visual overload in a matter of seconds. Nothing but darkness. Suddenly you can see. When that happens, I would expect you'd want to tell somebody about it. I mean, I don't think they could keep you quiet. So he just starts running around telling people, I was blind, but now I can see. I mean, I woke up this morning thinking I was going to beg. I went, washed my eyes. Woohoo! Like, this is amazing. He's so unbelievably excited. And then the religious people show up. Ugh! With their pat answers and their skeptical attitudes. And they just suck the joy right out of the miracle. Now, we have to be careful to judge them because we do this too, right? We want a miracle and somebody else gets one, and what's the attitude in the bottom of our heart? I wanted a miracle. Jesus gave it to him. I've been praying longer, and I'm nicer. But he gave it to him. The joy gets sucked right out of it. The religious guy is actually questioned. He said, what happened? He goes, I don't know. He said, by the side of the road, guy showed up, Told me to do something, a little bit of mud, wash, I can see. This is their answer. Okay, but you're not the guy who used to beg outside of the temple, right? Wouldn't that be convenient? Ah, oh, it's just the wrong guy, right? <laughs> Sorry. It's the right guy. They actually call in his parents, and they use fear and intimidation to get the answer that they want. And the parents just keep saying, I don't know what happened, ask him. Our kid was blind, now he can see. They call the guy back. And this is their reasoning. You can't have been healed because the guy who healed you is a sinner. I mean, think about that. You got a formerly blind guy who's now looking you in the eye, and your answer to him is you couldn't have been healed because the guy who healed you has a bad reputation and he's a sinner. What kind of twisted religious gymnastics do you have to do to get there? And the guy's looking at you. With that statement, we get a front row seat on religious spiritual blindness. Let me tell you what spiritual blindness looks like. John 9, 16 says this. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. So now it's a calendar issue for these guys. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs 
so they were divided. The guy just got a miracle, and they're arguing semantics. Do we understand that? That's all, almost as ludicrous as there's people dying and going to hell, and we need to get together and have a vote on what color carpet we're going to do. It's craziness. And it'd probably be split 50-50, right? It's absolute craziness. What can we learn from this? I think we need to learn this. Religious people, which we don't want to be, number one are this. They're fixated on the sin, and they forget the person. I mean, Jesus sees beyond the argument that his disciples were having, and he just becomes focused on this guy sitting by the side of the road who has no idea what's coming. What should that teach us? People matter to God. Two things are eternal. The word of God and people from this earth. So what should our lives revolve around? I don't know. Maybe the word of God and people. What do you think? Those two things. Jesus sees beyond the argument, and he just sees the guy who needs a little help. Secondly, what else can we learn here? We learn that religious people are offended by authentic spiritual sight. I mean, I hope you go back and read the entire end of the chapter because this guy gets in deep trouble because suddenly, more than just being able to see the physical world, he can see the condition of this, these guys' heart, the religious guys. He sees their religious hearts. He's exposed their jealousy and their ungodly attitudes and it gets him kicked out of their little club. Why is that important? Let me tell you why. If you don't get anything else today, Bellingham and Ferndale, please get this. When we see sin before we see sinners, in that instant, we've forgotten the very grace that saved us. Suddenly, we're in a different category. Oh, well, we're sinners, all right, but not like those people. When we see sin before sinners, we forget the grace that saved us and the fact the Bible says there's no one righteous, not even one. When we see with human eyes before holy eyes, we always see the natural and we never get to see the supernatural. If we ever put religion before our relationship with Jesus, we've reduced our faith to a series of do's and don'ts. And my friend, that kind of religion will never send anyone to the foot of the cross where we got saved. The Pharisees get so bent out of shape over the fact that this guy won't change his story, they actually throw him out of the temple grounds. They chuck him. Because his healing doesn't fit inside of their tidy little box, they toss him and keep the box. Do we understand that? They toss the miraculous guy out and they keep their rules. Can I just say something that I think needs to be said? God doesn't have a box. And I'm so unbelievably thankful because I don't fit in a box and you don't fit in a box and our mess doesn't fit in a box. People ask us, where's the box of Christ? We misplaced it like 20 some years ago and we don't want it back. Because every time we think we've got it figured out and in this nice tidy little package, he does something that just blows out the sides of the box. And praise God he does. I mean, it's just unbelievably scary at times. We get him nice and tidy in a nice little container. Pretty soon he's up on the shelf. And he's not bugging anybody, and that's the way we like it. And whenever we need something, we go and rattle it. It's kind of like a genie in a bottle kind of a thing. And then we want him to bail us out. 
God doesn't do human boxes. He does miracles. I mean, this guy had a day, didn't he? I mean, from begging to a miracle, from a miracle to a religious mess, from a religious mess to getting tossed out on his ear. Well, I'm glad the story's still not over. We actually got one more chunk left to go through. In fact, I think this is where the story gets really, really cool because more than just a physical healing, we get to see a healing of the soul through a moment of salvation. The Bible says at the end of John chapter 9, it says this, Jesus heard they'd thrown him out and he went and found him. I told you this last week. I'm going to say it again. He will follow you and follow you and follow you. Jesus hears the Pharisees threw him out and then he goes and finds him. Not a first time, but a second time. Jesus goes looking for him. He wants to go looking for him because now he can see here. Now Jesus wants to make sure he can see here. And this is more important. He says to him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the guy replies, Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, You've now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Let's wrap all of those verses up in one tiny little thought. More than just restoring the man's physical sight, Jesus restores his soul, his faith, and his hope. This is actually secondary to being able to see with his heart. Now, some of you have been following along, and you've actually been looking for the cringe moment all the way through because you've been following the theme. Some of you thought the cringe moment was, was when Jesus made that sound and he smeared the mud on him. Possibly. Others of you thought that it was when the blind guy got tossed out of the Pharisees' club. Because that's kind of like, oh, are you serious? Possibly. I believe it actually comes at the end of the chapter. It's a portion that we haven't even read yet. But let me review. The guy gets healed, and then the guy gets saved. And after he gets saved, Jesus has one more thing to say to the Pharisees. This is the cringe moment in verse 39. Jesus says, For judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and said, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you'd not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. What does that mean? It means this. Jesus is saying this to this group of religious guys. You thought the only guy in this scenario that was in trouble was the blind guy, but he wasn't the only blind guy in the story. You see, Mr. Pharisee, you're blind because the Son of God is standing right in front of you. and You can't see him. Where are we ignoring God in our lives where he's standing right in front of us but we're choosing not to see him? Where have we been sent but our answer is, I'm not going there. I'll go anywhere else but I am not going there. 
Where has our obedience stopped us? Right on the edge of the miracle. But we've refused to go to get the full deal. Where have we gotten frozen in our pain so instead of reaching out to God and still asking for the miracle, we've decided we'd rather just sit in our brokenness? Where are we ignoring God when He's standing right in front of us with very clear instructions about where to go and how to get there? This is not a tidy little story. It's painful. Doesn't have a lot of tidy answers for us, boy. We sure wish that they were there. Here are the things that I hope we remember. Somebody got a miracle. And the same God who gave it to him is still doing miracles today. Our responsibility, even before we get a miracle, is to pray and believe and obey. My wife might get her miracle here. She might. But make no mistake, Christ the King, it may not happen here, but it most certainly will happen there. And if it happens here, you'll know it because I will be on the top of the roof screaming at the top of my lungs and you're going to have to go and get a ladder truck to bring me down. We keep praying and believing. So I'm going to do a little poll here at Bellingham Fernie. I'll ask you to participate. Don't be embarrassed by this. If you're here today and you have been praying for a miracle that you haven't got a yes yet to, stick your hand up, straight up. Oh my goodness, do we have something in common or what? We don't back off. We press in. We call on the same one who was handing out miracles for free. And we believe with all that we can that he's still more than able. And in the meantime, we are the sent ones of God. And we will go where he tells us to go and do what he tells us to do because this same Jesus is calling this church family deeper. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for scriptures that make us uncomfortable and that may actually leave us with a few more questions than answers. I thank you, the common denominator in John chapter 9 and at Christ the King Church on this day in Bellingham and Ferndale is that there are people who are blind and a Savior who can really see. Father, I pray for every person who just stuck their hand up and was reminded again of the fact that they are asking for a miracle. I thank you that you know I thank that you are more than able, and I pray God's strength and God's courage over them to keep praying, keep asking, keep believing. Father, we will celebrate in the yeses, and we will celebrate in the noes. And we will comfort ourselves 
with this beautiful little thought. He loves us. So, Father, expand our faith. Take us deeper. Let us see. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.